The scripture reading is taken from Jude, verses 17 through 23. But you, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the, the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. I want to bring a prayer request to you. Uh, typically in this service, uh, there is a young man who sits uh, in the back. His name is Brandon. Uh, Brandon Finley is his name. He, um, Brandon, when he was three, fell. And when he did, um, in, in a, a very unusual way, it uh, activated a tumor that he was born with. And so at the age of three, he had a shunt put in and um, wasn't expected to live many uh, years at all. I think seven years. Brandon is 29 years old. Um, his shunt, there was an issue with it. He went to Duke this week. Uh, they removed the shunt, and when they did, things have become quite complex. And so Brandon um, isn't swallowing. He now has a, food to, uh, a, a tube uh, for feeding. He uh, isn't speaking. Uh, he has some uh, uh, apparent paralysis on one side of his body. Um, it just isn't good. And when I was down there on Friday to, uh, to visit with uh, Brandon and with Denise and some others, um, Denise said on the way down that Brandon looked at her and in his, in his way said, I'm in God's hands. And I'm ready to see him if that's what he wants. And Denise said the same. He is in God's hands. And so as you pray this week, pray for Brandon and pray for Denise what a remarkable mother she has been to this boy. And pray for them. Pray for God's grace. Brandon comes here every Monday and uh, drives our golf cart around and gets all the trash out of all of our buildings. That's uh, a job that he does every single week at this place. And uh, our hearts are breaking this morning. We so want um, God's will to be done with him. So if you'll pray for him, we would appreciate that. Uh, this uh, sermon that we are going to look in today, or this part of Scripture, uh, Jude, uh, it, it's, a, it's a call to finish strong. Uh, it is a call to finish and to finish strong. Any, anybody can start a race, uh, but it takes uh, a whole lot to finish, doesn't it? Uh, anyone can set out on a course, but to finish that course is indeed a whole another issue. And so this morning, uh, what we're talking about is finishing strong. What does it look like to finish, uh, finish well, to finish uh, what you start? Um, baseball fans will probably be aware that uh, until a few months ago, a couple of months ago, Josh Hamilton was the last guy to hit four home runs in a single game. And if you look at the list of guys who have done that, um, they're power hitters. They're big, bulky, uh, strong guys who are power hitters, and uh, they can nail a ball. And as a matter of fact, nine of uh, the uh, 
uh, hitters who've done that through the years uh, have hit more than 300 home runs. But in June, uh, there was uh, a man, he's five uh, foot 10, 185 pounds. Uh, you wouldn't describe him as a power hitter. His name, Scooter Jeanette, uh, who plays uh, for Cincinnati. Uh, he's bounced all over the place, uh, different teams trying to get his career off the ground. And he had just come off of uh, 0 and 19 uh, slump when he enters uh, this game and everything changed. Check out the video on the screen. And so there you go. And uh, his comments afterward were this. He says, it's a crazy game, baseball. That's why you never give up. You always try to get better, make adjustments. And I did just that. Our hitting coach, he's worked with me lately to kind of fine-tune some things. And I think we did just that tonight. Um, there is something to be said for finishing strong, for persevering, for hanging in there. And Jude gives uh, three directives toward that. And so let's look at them quickly. Remember the warning, he says. Remember the warning. What warning? Uh, he says, but you. Uh, that but uh, you is emphatic. It's plural. So he's speaking to the church at large. But you remember uh, the warning. The warning of whom? The apostles. Now, this word remembering is not like a word that's remembering facts so that perhaps you can regurgitate them on a quiz. Uh, it is not to remember just some details. It is to take to heart, to remember in such a way so that it is imprinted on your very mind and heart. That's the word here. It's remembering the final words of your loved one uh, as he or she dies. That's the word. Uh, it's remembering the vows that your husband or your wife said to you uh, years ago. That's what the word looks like. It's remembering the coach's speech to you when you won or maybe even lost the championship. Those words sink into the very fiber of your being. That's the word remember. It, it is. Remember the warning. Uh, what is this warning? Uh, perhaps Jude was familiar with uh, Paul's warning in Acts to uh, the elders at Ephesus. Paul has ministered at Ephesus, this great city of a half million people, a seaport city. He's leaving, and he has this conversation. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, uh, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves 
will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Uh, This is uh, hefty language, fierce wolves. Jude here uh, again describes them as scoffers. Scoffers are mockers. They mock morality and the uh, idea of a God who is in charge of the exclusivity of Christ. They follow their own ungodly passions, meaning they are controlled by their own ungodly passions. Tim Keller, I've heard him say in sermons on more than one occasion, He says, when I talk to uh, college students or singles who say, I don't think I believe the Bible anymore, uh, what they're saying to me is, I'm having sex with my girlfriend, and the Bible says I shouldn't, so I don't believe the Bible anymore. Uh, Your lifestyle becomes then the determinant of what it is that you believe. And so let me point out where this is most evident in the church uh, collective in the world, I think, and especially in America today, two places where fierce wolves have crept in among the church itself. I'll talk about universalism and liberalism. So let me mention those for a moment. Universalism is the thought that God cannot be a loving God and send anyone to hell. Therefore, everybody, some way, somehow, will eventually get to heaven. I went to Amazon this week just to Google the latest books put out by Universalist, avowed Universalist, and here are a list to give you some idea. Discover the power within you. Uh, Choosing Happier, How Rob Bell Saved Me from Hell. And then here's what one author said about her book. Are you ready to listen? Those were the first words I heard God say to me. What unfolded over the next two years was a relationship with Jesus, God, and the archangels that accompany all of us daily. In this book, I take you through my own awakening, dialogue with spirit, and healing with the little, little injured souls that live within me. That's universalism. Rob Bell probably being its most well-known and prolific author. And then there's liberalism. Liberalism is, began years ago, influenced by the Germans uh, in theology, made its way to the seminaries, honestly, in the 50s, uh, in a dominant way in America, and then, of course, the wave would be that would get into the church. Uh, Probably the biggest uh, lifestyle issue that uh, liberalism has, or that has honestly, I think, exposed liberalism is homosexuality. We have a culture that is shifting significantly or has already toward approving homosexuality as uh, an accepted lifestyle according to Scripture. And so then churches uh, giving in to the cultural mores of the day have accommodated the culture and now adapt themselves by abandoning their view of Scripture that they once held. Several denominations, by their own admission and by their own publication, now accommodate and endorse same-sex marriage. 
Those are the PCUSA, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the United Church of Christ, the Quakers, and then the Unitarian Universalist. All those denominations, by their own admission, say we affirm homosexual marriage, and most of them, if not all of them, affirm homosexual pastors. Uh, Jude says it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. These are heavy words, and I know that some of you, perhaps, will take me to task. What Jude says is that when you divert from the faith, it means that you do not have the Spirit, which means that you do not belong to Christ, which means your eternal destiny is not heaven. That's what he says. This phrase, devoid of the Spirit, is used similarly by James to talk about filled with demons. This is not a light thing. And so it begs the question then, how do we determine who it is as a church that we can fellowship with? How how do you make that decision? And in a world that is so inclusive, and this sounds so exclusive, how do we think today? So the room is full of young people, and you hear so many things And some of this is brand new to you. Uh, Let's talk about it for a moment. Beliefs, convictions, and preferences. You must begin to think, if you've never, in those three categories. Uh, What are beliefs? You'll see it on the screen. Beliefs are universal. They're essential to the faith and must be held by everyone in order to have fellowship. What are they? God is one, monotheism. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity. As a matter of fact, in Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the Trinity right there. A Trinitarian view. All right, so uh, a view of, uh, of God is one, of Father, Son, and Spirit, a view of salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. Uh, Salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. There's no other way, uh, Scripture says, by which man can be saved. Christ is coming back. Uh, A return of Christ uh, on the horizon is necessary. Incidentally, not on September 23rd. If you've read that, uh, But Christ is coming back, uh, a view of to Christ's return and the authority of Scripture. The Scripture is the ultimate authority for not only life, but for thinking, for theology. So the authority of Scripture, uh, these are essential to the faith. These are beliefs. These are uh, places where you uh, uh, stake the flag and fly it high and say, if you believe this, then you indeed are a follower of Christ. Then there are convictions. 
Convictions, you will see, are personal and must not be held by everyone to have fellowship. All right, they are. So we at Grace, for example, our conviction of baptism is believer's baptism. You're, you're baptized, uh, as Kevin and, and, and uh, Leah and Graceland were, you're baptized as a believer. Uh, but I fellowship with wonderful people who have a different view of baptism, yet we hold the same beliefs. It's a conviction of ours. A conviction of ours here is that we build debt-free. It's, it's a conviction of ours. Hasn't always been, but it has been now for many years. We do everything we do without incurring debt. There are other churches that do incur debt. It doesn't mean that they're right and we're wrong or we're right and they're wrong. It's just different. You can differ on these issues of conviction. It is okay uh, to have differing convictions, right? Um, if if uh, you must hold my conviction, I have become a legalist. That's clear. If my conviction must be applied to you or yours must be applied to me, then your conviction has made its way up into beliefs and you are now in the world of legalism. And then there's the third, and the third is preferences. Uh, this is where most churches fight, incidentally. Right, this is where the battles take place. Personal and typically issues of style and must not be held by everyone to have fellowship. All right, so what are preferences? Well, uh, I'm wearing jeans to preach in, right? I'm wearing jeans. I have colleagues who think I'm borderline uh, 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 dangling over hell on a thread uh, for wearing jeans as I preach. Uh, that is simply a preference of mine. Uh, to wear blue jeans. I, I just like doing it. That's all. Uh, there's, there's nothing more. It's a preference, right? Um, uh, we use our buildings here for everything. These chairs, you guys graciously take them down. Uh, some people have stained glass. We have stained floors. Um, it, it's just a preference. That's all it is. It doesn't mean we're better or smarter or that they're better or smarter. We're just different. Those are preferences, right? At Grace, almost every song we sing, you sing. Almost every single one. Uh, if you've attended here for quite some time, you've not heard someone stand on the stage and sing to you. They sing with you. It's a conviction. It's a preference of ours that our music be that way and not that way. And that's why. That's why. Uh, those are beliefs, convictions, and preferences. Uh, you must know your beliefs and uh, hold them tightly, and it's fine to hold your convictions, but uh, don't uh, enforce them on others. So I want to say something, uh, how this works here at Grace. Uh, we have people here who have varying views of different things in theology. For example, if we go around the room, there are people who have different views on the return of Christ. Some say pre-trib, premillennial. Others say mid-trib, premillennial, post-trib, millennial. All in this room. I love what uh, Larry Osborne says. He, uh, speaking of his church in California, when it comes to the return of Christ, uh, we have chosen to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. <laughs> I like that. We have two, so you'll have varying views. If you, if you think that unless somebody holds to your view, they may not know Christ, you indeed are in murky waters. Uh, there are varying views on um, Calvinism, on predestination that exist among the folks here. If you insist on somebody holding to yours, 
by the letter, you have become a theological legalist. That's what you've done. Now, here at Grace, what that means, and I say this in every starting point, I'll say it here, said it this morning. If, if you loved a soapbox on your issue, then soapbox away, but you will never lead in this church, ever. You'll never lead a group. You will never lead a Bible study. You will never step out and lead. Why? People are dying and going to hell every day. And anything that detracts or distracts from the gospel is not good. So it's how we roll. It's how we roll. You see, our church is about Kevin and Leah and Graceland coming to faith. Amen? It's not about me championing some subcategory of theology that I find interesting. Um, Remember the warning. Number two, keep the faith. There is one command in this next little section. Uh, It's the word keep, and it's interesting because if you look back at verse one, uh, Jude says Jesus keeps you, and if you look at uh, then uh, this verse, it says keep yourselves. So how in the world does that work? Uh, we touched on this in my Old Testament class. I see several of my students here this morning. Uh, we touched uh, on this in my Old Testament class. Uh, God is sovereign and man is responsible. And God's sovereignty doesn't rule out the responsibility of man. Uh, Spurgeon was asked one time, uh, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man? And he said, I see no need to reconcile good friends. And I would agree that God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control that, that God elects people to salvation. And then we, as God's people, are responsible to respond to his election. Um, and, and Jude ties those together here. So there's one verb, keep yourselves, but little English lesson, participles, right? They, they modify verbs, and there are three of them ending in an I-N-G. Building yourselves up. Uh, This stands in contrast to the false teachers who tear down. We as believers are to build one another up. How does it look? Ephesians 2, Paul writing to the church there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's us. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So let me address that for a moment. So we're no longer strangers and aliens. Like We know each other. There's a common bond between us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a foundation. What is the foundation? The prophets from the Old Testament predicted Christ. The apostles from the New proclaimed Christ. And Christ himself is the cornerstone of this building. Now, those of you who know me know I can't build anything, like at all. A birdhouse will not fit together if I try to build it. No lie. But this I do know, that a cornerstone back in Jesus' day was put there, and it had to be perfectly square, and this part of the building and this part of the building went by it. In the absence of a square, the cornerstone served that. Christ is the cornerstone in the foundation is mixed with apostles predicting him uh, or, or proclaiming him, prophets predicting him, and we're built on that. The church is built on that foundation. Now, that's a sure and steady foundation. It's not going anywhere. Uh, unless you're worried about the church crumbling down, not going to happen. The church will be here when Christ returns. So we build uh, ourselves up. So here's a question for you. 
before you do or say something, will it build up my fellow brother or sister in Christ? That's your question. Before you do or say anything, run it through that filter. Will it build up? If it will tear down, close your mouth. Stop what you're about to do. We, we're to build one another up. That's we are, what we are to do. Uh, the second word is praying in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this very statement implies that you can pray out of the Spirit. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a command to pray in the Spirit. Uh, that's dangerous, incidentally, right? That's dangerous. You, you can pray um, in ways that God has nothing to do with. Nothing. So how do you pray in the Spirit? Here's your question. Does my prayer agree with the Word of God? Does my prayer agree with the Word of God? Uh, the little book by Don Whitney, Pray in the Bible, has helped me tremendously. Tiny little book. Whitney's a prophet at Southern. Fantastic little book. And from it, I've learned to pray through the Psalms every day of my life. And it's unreal. Absolutely unreal. Um, and then the third doesn't seem to fit the other two, right? Building one another up, and go, yeah, I got that. And praying in the Spirit, yeah, that makes sense. And waiting. Waiting? How is waiting a spiritual thing? Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the word uh, literally means to wait anxiously or earnestly. So how is that waiting? Um, uh, Alan, Michael, and Bethany sit over here, and they're just, what, two or three weeks away from, from, from Bethany having two kids to raise. Um, yeah, uh, that's what they're two or three weeks away from. We're praying for you, Bethany. So, so this whole waiting thing, when, when you're expecting, it's crazy, isn't it? I remember we were waiting on Trent, and... Uh, uh, we went to a, uh, uh, one of those sixth grade PTA, PTA things, PTO things at school. And no lie, this is hilarious. Uh, and my wife, unreal. Uh, so we stood up because they did the hallelujah chorus. And, you know, my wife is the consummate talker. Like she, she never meets a stranger. Her personality is remarkable. She, she just balances me to a T. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, we stand up, we do the hallelujah chorus, and, you know, they sing it, the little sixth grade choir, and then it's over, and uh, we're walking out, and I remember going out and getting in the car, and she looked over at me, and she said, uh, well, I think it's time. I said, for what? She said, I think he's coming. I said, who's coming? She said, Trent, he's coming. I said, how do you know? She said, and this is 30 minutes later, Noah. When we stood up to do the hallelujah chorus, my water broke. I said, what are we doing? What? She said, I had to talk to people. I couldn't be rude. Are you kidding me? You know, we just got a mile drive to the house. Get foot is on the gas. I'm going in. And she said, well, I'd like to bathe first. What? Yeah. She said, we're not going to the hospital dirty. Mm-mm. 
Like, okay, you know, baby's going to be born in the tub. Trent will never live this down. And so, so she goes, she bathes, we, she comes out. We're just kind of gingerly, we get in the car. And, and so we're headed over. And for some reason, we had this very, very stupid thing that haunted us that it would come time for childbirth and we'd have bad breath. I don't know why. But we did. And so we had stored in the car, of all things, each a bottle of scope. One on each side, and it was sitting there. And so we decided as we hit Biltmore Avenue, headed to the hospital, we down our bottle of scope, swish it around, get to a red light, fling open the door, spit it out, and we'd be on our way. Guess what happened? No red lights. It was awful. Our faces are turning colors. You know, scope is strong. And so we're looking at each other and our faces are glowing and growing. And we finally stopped middle of the road, just spit out our scope and looked at each other and just cracked up like we're blooming idiots. What is our deal? What is our deal? And sure enough, Trent took a while to come. Wendy was right, you know. Took him, took him a while to be born. She was right. It's amazing how you anticipate that. Well, like you anticipate that, you and I ought to anticipate the return of Christ. Wow. So why don't we? Why don't we? And why is it that when I go to Ecuador or Africa, they seem to? So I'm going to hit on something that hits close to home. Okay, with all of us in this room. One word. We've talked about universalism and we've talked about liberalism, but it's materialism. That's why. We have it really good, don't we? We have it really good. We have what we need. Most of us, most of us have a lot of what we want. And our things have anchored us a little too deep on planet Earth. They've, they've dropped in, and we're kind of below the foundation now, not on the foundation of Christ and the apostles and their prophets. It's not to say you shouldn't have things. That's not it at all. It's just that they shouldn't have you. They should not possess you so much that you cling to them so tightly that letting go of them means looking to being with Christ. So, it's a warning. It's a warning. The question, do you value earthly possessions over heavenly rewards? Do you value earthly possessions over heavenly rewards? And third, have mercy on the doubters. I'll be quick. I've had two times of significant doubting in my life. One I shared a few weeks ago in the Sermon on Anxiety was right after coming to Christ. The other was as a college student. I began to doubt the faith of my parents. And it's during that time that you have to own your own faith. I know that. I love how many of you are here and I get to help invest in that time in your life. I remember to my awful chagrin sitting in my sophomore literature class and saying these words. And on more than one occasion, I've apologized to Jesus for this. I said, I don't think this Jesus thing, it's all it's cracked up to be. You see, I'd gone to college. It was a church-related college, but very liberal. And I had very liberal professors and I thought they might know more than God, and 
and that I might know more than my parents, and I was foolish. But there was somebody who helped me with my doubt, though he never knew it. And so students, I want you to listen up, all of us, but he never knew it. Um, you see, though I, I, I was speaking in that world and academically nailing it and rising as a leader on campus, I was so empty. And Wofford, uh, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have uh, F, uh, like Campus Crusade and those kinds of things. But there was an FCA that met on Wednesday nights. And there was a guy who was a couple years ahead of me. His name was Adam Boyd. And Adam loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And I would go and I would sit and I'd watch him. And I would say to myself, I want what he has. There's a joy about him. That's exuberant. He's 21, and he loves Jesus. Adam lives in Black Mountain, owns a couple of camps across the mountain. And he had no idea that I was hanging by a thread. And that through his exuberant love of Christ, genuine faith showed mercy to me a doubter. Have mercy on the doubters. If somebody in your circle is slipping off, don't kick them while they're down. That's what Jude is saying here. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. They're, they're about to fall into the fire of doubt and the fire of intellectualism or liberalism or materialism or universalism or whatever it may be. Pull them out of the fire and then to others show mercy with fear. There, there's a qualification here. Brothers, if anyone is caught, Galatians 6, 1 says, In any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Please hear me, college students. Singles, please hear me. Please hear me, everyone in the room. When you are in the rescue business of rescuing people who have been snatched up or they're about to fall into the fire uh, of doubt, uh, it's risky business. And that's why Jude and why Paul in Galatians says, do it with fear. Do it with fear. Be careful. Why? Sinners are convincing about their sin. In my 17 years here almost now, being pastor, I've counseled, I have no idea how many husbands and wives who are trying to convince me that the horrible state of their marriage beforehand gave them a right to have an affair. It's ludicrous, it's ridiculous, there's no truth to it at all, right? But, but they've begun to believe a lie that's been fed to them by the person they're having an affair with, and they choose to believe the person they're cheating with rather than believing God. And so I've talked to more than one lay person who says, they almost had me convinced. That's, that's the risk. That's the risk. You say, how bad is it? All right. It gets a little, a little gross here. 
hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That word garment is undergarment. There's a long tunic worn underneath the outer garment against the skin. Stained. Are you ready for this? Big theological word here means poop. No lie. If I knew it another way, I could say excrement. That's what it means. Four or five references in the Old Testament. Same word. You say, Jerry, what does that mean? Here's what it means. That when people sin, they spiritually poop themselves. They do. And some kids, as soon as they realize it, they want out of that diaper. And other kids are like, whatever. Right? And he's referring to the whatever kids and they run around in it and if you try to help them change it and they don't want to guess what you'll get on you the the stain of their sin that's the warning and Jude goes to great lengths to make it very detailed Be careful when rescuing someone else out of their sin, he says. Show mercy in that case with fear. Do you know what we say? Love the sinner, hate the sin. In that order, right? In that order, love the sinner, hate the sin. Our praise team is going to come. We're going to switch gears. I want to kind of push rewind back to this whole idea of waiting anxiously anticipating the return of Christ. So last Sunday night was an amazing night here. It's incredible. So many of you came and we sang about a dozen of our songs and uh, we'll begin to release those next month, uh, one per month, and you'll be able to see the video and hear the songs. It's tremendous. Dean Blanton has been a member here longer than I've been here. Uh, And uh, uh, Dean is a great man of God, loves the Lord. He, he manages all the used sales for Paramount. He's on the road all the time, loves music. So I, I, did a, I went old school after the service last Sunday night and went out to the lobby and just thought I'll shake some hands as folks leave. And honestly, no lie, I was waiting for Dean. I, I couldn't wait for Dean because I knew how he was going to respond. And uh, Dean walked out and he looked at me and at first it was straight face and then he started to speak and his lips started to quiver. And he said, oh, Jerry, that was so good. I said, I know, Dean, it was. And then hard, you know, through shaking voice, he said, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back tonight? And that whole time of worship had really just given him that forward look to the return of Christ. I think this song will help us do the same. Let's sing this and worship the Lord together and anticipate his hopefully soon return. Let's worship.